coroner identifies the body found in the Illinois River as ISU grad student Jelani Day. Central Illinois celebrates high school homecomings. More on these stories, I'm Sierra Henry. I'm Kelsey Watsonauer. And this is Lee Enterprises Long Story Short. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of Long Story Short, where we recap Central Illinois news from Lee Enterprises journalists. Before we begin, I'm just going to say this really quickly. It's our anniversary, our one-year anniversary, and we're very excited. I hope you guys continue listening to the podcast. I hope we can grow it some more, get some new audience members listening in. I'm not going to go on a tangent about it because we've got some, we've got a lot going on this week, but I just wanted to throw that out there before we, you know get into things. That being said, uh, this was a heavy week in Bloomington Normal, so that's where we're going to begin. Kelsey? LaSalle County Coroner on Thursday identified the body found in the Illinois River three weeks ago as that of Jelani Day, an Illinois State University graduate student whose disappearance nearly a month ago triggered national attention and emotional pleas to those with information to come forward. Following the news, Jelani's mother, Carmen Boldenday, wrote in a social media post that her family's hearts are broken. Jelani was last seen the morning of August 24th at a Bloomington store. His family in Danville and a faculty member at ISU reported him missing the next day. On August 26th, his vehicle was found in LaSalle, Peru area, and the clothes he was last seen wearing were inside. On September 4th, a male body was recovered near the south bank of the Illinois River, east of Route 251 Bridge in Peru. Now, nearly three weeks later, thanks to a backlog in the State Police Forensic Division, Jelani's family was notified of the positive ID. A cause of death has not yet been determined, and the investigation continues. In her post, Carmen Bolden Day wrote, Now they are shifting their focus to find out what happened to her son, and she and her family will not stop until they do. An ISU student has organized a memorial for Jelani, planned to be at 4 p.m. Saturday in Normal's Uptown Circle. After the news came out Thursday, community members and ISU administrators poured out their condolences for Jelani and his family. In her post, Carmen said thank you to every single person who has thought about, prayed for, talked about, and searched for Jelani. The love that you've shown our family has sustained us and we will definitely need you even more in the days to come. We love each and every one of you for making Jelani's story personal. Our full coverage on this tragic story can be found across our three sites, panagraph.com, herald-review.com, and jg-tc.com. Thank you to Brendan Dennison and Connor Wood who helped me pull this story together yesterday and have continued to follow this story. And most importantly, we want to express our deepest condolences to Carmen and all of Jelani's family and acknowledge the bravery that they have shown as they push to gain national attention for this man and not let his disappearance fall by the wayside. We have heard such wonderful things about Jelani and our hearts go out to all the lives that he touched in his short time here. Resetting a little bit, now we're going to move into some local business news, starting with some really excellent reporting from Sierra and our Bloomington reporter, Tim Eckert. So last week, um, Tim Eckert and I took a look at the Bloomington Normal Shopping Malls, um, more specifically the trend of um, businesses moving to outdoor storefronts. Uh, This included an audit of the Eastland Mall's stores and uh, the outdoor shopping plazas of Bloomington Normal, including the um, shops at College Hills Outdoor Shopping Mall. Uh, We found that Eastland Mall was at like 50% capacity and uh, the shops at College Hills was a little bit higher than that. They're actually both getting new tenants, but as we spoke to um, property managers, they said that 
people are or businesses are moving to the outdoor model more um, that's just the trend that they're starting to see and that is why property managers are starting to build more outdoor shopping plazas and centers uh, we talked with some people about why they thought this trend was happening uh, so if you want to learn more about like the state of bloomington normal shopping malls and what's kind of gone on in the last couple of decades because uh, tim and i threw in some you know really great history there because we're both history people so <laughs> it's it's a really great story it's a great read it's kind of long but um please check it out you can find that story at panagraph.com and in his column this week tim took a look at lottery ticket sales in mclean county last year finding that 92 lottery sellers pulled in 17.5 million dollars in total sales with 36,607 winning tickets bloomington's 44 retailers recorded 10 million $369,350 in total gross sales and sold 21,116 winning tickets, while Normal's 24 retailers logged $4,090,450 in sales and sold 8,893 winning tickets. Tim has the full breakdown plus details from business owners about the lottery business, the pandemic, and more. So if you want to Read more about lottery tickets in this state. Head on over to panagraph.com to find his full story. Sorry I made you read all of those numbers. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. I love numbers. I'm so good at saying them. All right, let's move into some local government news. Sierra, what's up in normal? Taking a phrase from Councilwoman Kathleen Lawrence, normal loves loves. <laughs> this week, the town council approved a more than 30-acre loves truck stop and RV park, which is expected to move into a plot of farmland located at the northwest corner of Normal, near Interstate 55 and Main Street. This is exciting news for the town and something that could possibly generate thousands of dollars in tax revenue. Some key amenities that I want to highlight include an attached Bojangles restaurant, two dog parks, walking trails, and a 24-hour tire shop, and utility hookups for the RV cars. Uh, Construction is set to begin next spring, but in the meantime, if you want to learn more about this new business, be sure to find all of my reports at pandagraph.com. Really, I have like a lot of them, so (laughs) just search my name and you'll be able to find them. All right, Kel- um, Kelsey's going to tell us a little bit about some um, some health-related news. Her favorite topic, actually. She's the biggest blood donor I know. <laughs> I love it. Okay, well, love it might be a little bit strong. Blood centers across the nation are in need of donors, and this week, JGTC reporter Athena Pager spoke with the Coles County American Red Cross and Impact Life about how they are encouraging people to get out and donate. To put the need into perspective, Sarah Bush Lincoln Health Center uses between 8 to 15 units of blood per day and typically keeps about 65 units of blood on hand. But some places are down to one-day supplies of certain types of blood, which is why there is such an urgent need for donors. Athena talks about these issues on a local and national scale, so if you're interested in learning more and finding out how you can help, I'm sorry, find her full story at jg-tc.com. And yes, I am a, as Sierra said, I do regularly donate blood. It's super important and it's super easy. Just go and you got an hour. Give away some body parts. It's fine. Highly recommend. And you get cookies at the end. Okay. Anyways, uh, let's move into some education news. It's a very exciting time for high schools. Sierra, tell us why. It's probably the best um, best part of starting the school back. Um, oh, 
maybe I should read the script. <laughs> God. Um, as we're as we're getting into fall, high schools across central Illinois are celebrating what I would call the best weeks of the school year, homecoming week. Gosh, we just like totally told everyone that we what write a script. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I think it's apparent. Um, yeah. We're not broadcast journalists. Okay. Who also have scripts, by the way. Who also have scripts. Anyways, let's go. Moving on. Um, after most schools canceled homecoming last fall and some tried to squeeze one in before prom in the spring, the traditions are coming back in 2021 with assemblies and rallies, powder puff and boys volleyball coronations and the big game. In Bloomington, Normal Connor Wood and Kelsey spoke with Normal Community, Normal West, Bloomington, and Central Catholic High School about their plans and what had changed in the last two years, which for the three public schools includes a gender-neutral homecoming court and a transition to royals instead of kings and queens. That's really interesting. Um, good, good for them. Uh, Valerie Wells caught up with the Boys and Girls Club, which is hosting the Cinderella Project to help to cater area students dressed to the nine for their dance with donated dresses, shoes, bags, and suits, and professional hair and makeup artists. And Mattoon, Rob Stroud watched as floats designed by students, teams of cross-country athletes, and community foot race took over the Broadway Avenue. The Homecoming Parade, Mattoon Invitational Cross Country Meet, and Broadway Bolt Community Foot Race all took place Wednesday evening, giving a big crowd of support for the student-athletes. Be sure to find all of our homecoming coverage at pantograph.com, herald-review.com, and jg-tc.com, and cheer on all of your favorite teams. This is such an exciting weekend, and we're just so happy to see all of the students again. So, again, check us out. A Charleston High School student has successfully gotten his dream extracurricular off the ground. Dawson Hendricks got the Charleston School Board to approve the creation of a bass fishing league, which will be a co-ed and overseen by the Illinois High School Association, like any other sport, which is very exciting. The team will be run by a volunteer, a school-approved sponsor, and the school is now looking at the best possible practice location at local lakes. So kudos to Dawson, and good luck to all the future bass fishers in Charleston. Bass fisher people? Bass fishers. Bass fishermen? Bass fishermen. Bass fisherman, bash fisher boy, bash fisherman. I'm sorry. Uh, so to read more details, you can find Athena Pager's full story at jg-tc.com. My high school got a bass fishing team while I was in high school. My school also has a bass fishing team, but it didn't come until after the until after I graduated. I think graduated. I feel like that's just a saying. We, we're from small towns. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> the Johns Hill Magnet School is being destroyed, taking with it a piece of Decatur history. The three-story building has served Decatur students since 1928, but as part of the Bold Facilities Plan, the district built a new Johns Hill near the site of the old one, which opened in August. While the district considered name changes for several buildings under the Bold Plan, students, staff, and community made it clear that they wanted Johns Hill to retain the same name for the new building, both for its historical significance and for their own fondness for the, the hill. 400 bricks will be saved from the demolition for Johns Hill parent-teacher organization to sell as a fundraiser. Valerie Wells had the chance to catch up with some former students who look back fondly on the old hill's home. Uh, you can find her story at heraldhyphenreview.com and check out Clay Jackson's video of the demolition. Um, the brick is pretty interesting. Did you know that people are really into brick swaps in Illinois? There's a brick swapping association. They're collectibles. 
I'm very aware of your interest in brick swapping in Illinois. <laughs> Gotta catch them all. <laughs> brick swap. Okay. Um, enough of that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Kelsey, Kelsey's going to tell us about an ISU coach and his winning record. So Kelsey, take it away. You got in such a hurry. You skipped so many words in that last I know. like two sentences. It okay. Makes sense though, right? it, it's fine. <laughs> okay. Illinois State University's head football coach Brock Spack set a school record last weekend with a 31-24 victory over Eastern Illinois. This win was number 87 in his 13 seasons, making him the Redbird career leader in coaching victories. His record is now 87 wins to 54 losses, surpassing the 86 wins compiled by Edwin Strzok during his tenure from 1945 to 1964. Spack said being the Redbirds head coach has been a great honor, but he noted you don't do this by yourself, giving a tip of the cap to his players and staff. The team moved a 2-1 on the season after the matchup with the Panthers. This weekend, Illinois State travels to number 7 ranked SIU for the Missouri Valley Football Conference opener. As the Redbirds go into this game unranked, Coach Spack said this is the best team they've faced in a while. To catch up with Spack and hear what's going to what it's going to take to pull out another Redbird win and how he felt after making the record, be sure to find Randy Reinhardt's stories at panograph.com. And just a quick shout out again to those high schools and football teams celebrating homecoming this week. Friday Night Lights are ready for coronations and big school spirit, so be sure to find your team's coverage tonight at panograph.com, herald-review.com, and jg-tc.com. I love homecoming. Okay, anyways, let's move into some public safety and courts news. Sierra, what's up, Indicator? Returning to a story we've been following for a few weeks, in Macon County Court, a grand jury has declined to indict a teacher who was accused of aggravated battery of a South Shores elementary student. According to the complaint against the art teacher, Jamie Goodman forced a child's head down onto her desk, causing bodily harm to the child. The child's mother has been vocal and criticized the Decatur School Board for the way they handled the situation, calling for further action to be taken. In a news release, the Macon County State's Attorney Office stated that the presentation of the evidence, the grand jury voted not to move forward with any charges against Goodman. To read more about this case, you can find all of the reporting from Valerie Wells, Tony Reed, and the H&R staff at herald-review.com. The DeWitt County Coroner identified 65-year-old Alan Bell as the deceased person recovered from Clinton Lake on Tuesday morning. Bell was driving a truck that went partially down an embankment on the lake, and as he got out on the passenger side, he slipped into the water and then drowned, Coroner Randy Rice said. For full details, you can find Kate Heather's report at any of our three sites, jg-tc.com, herald-review.com, or panograph.com. Now to close out the podcast, we're going to move into some lighter community news. A 1937 Boyer fire engine truck returned to its home station in Charleston decades after it was retired. This week, Athena Pager wrote a really great piece about a relic from the Charleston's past. The Charleston... This week, Athena Pager wrote a really great piece about a relic from Charleston's past, its journey, and how it made its way back to where it belongs. I don't want to spoil the story, but I love history, and this is a fantastic piece, so if you want to read more about this historic fire truck, you can find Athena's story at jg-tc.com. Uh, this week, I was also down in Harristown, uh, where a Bloomington man is attempting to move a 1911 sleeper car um, that from that was once an interurban train 
uh, the train used to travel to Bloomington, which is why he wants to bring it back to Bloomington and, and restore it. But this train is like so fragile that any wrong, like, any wrong move, it will just collapse on itself. And I was actually in Harristown, which is like 15 minutes outside of Decatur, uh, watching them move it on Monday. And um, every creak and groan was making me so nervous. Like they would like set, like move it. And then you would just hear something pop and see like a puff of dust come out. It was just, it was a lot. Um, but they had to regroup. They're, they're going to have to actually disassemble it before they're able to move it down to Bloomington, um, which is not what they had hoped to do. But um, the plan is to have it move sometime in the next couple weeks and then get it back to Bloomington for restoration and maybe turn it into a cafe. So we'll be following this. I think it's really interesting. We got a lot of really great photos. Clay Jackson got some great photos. Um, and the story also ran in both like Decatur and Bloomington. So you can find my story at panagraph.com or harold-review.com. Uh, so that's going to do it for us today, folks. Um, if you're enjoying this podcast and our reporting, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. While you're at it, head on over to panagraph.com, harold-review.com, and jg-tc.com to look up subscription information and consider supporting hashtag local journalism. Why you got that on your head? <laughs> <laughs> well, I found it. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, Kelsey put a mic dampener. Oh, that's what it's, it's a hat. Dampener. It's a hat. It's a hat.